Welcome to our second episode of At CE Enter Stage. I'm your host, Sasha Papp. In today's episode, we tackle the impact of EU-imposed sanctions on Russia and Belarus on business deals, mergers and acquisitions. Joining us are our esteemed guests, Tolga Poiras, senior lawyer at Yildirim Group of Companies, working as the senior lawyer in the Legal Transaction Affairs and M&A team at Yildirim Group, practicing in corporate law, M&A and compliance for more than seven years in Turkey. Oliver Werner has been a partner at CMS in Vienna since 2020 and heads the CMS Slovakia office in Bratislava as managing partner. As a lawyer, he works in the areas of corporate law, M&A and compliance. And Maria Zrnoprosic, partner at law firm Bardek, Lisac, Mušec, Skoko and partners in cooperation with CMS in charge of corporate M&A and competition with more than 10 years of experience in these fields. They will provide key insights into the EU sanctions regime, its effects on businesses and share real-life examples from their own experiences. The topic of EU sanctions remains relevant and crucial for many businesses. Let's get started with our hopefully thought-provoking discussion as we explore the intricacies of EU sanctions on Russia and Belarus and their impact on M&A deals. So without further ado, let's climb the CE Enter stage and dive into this pressing issue and gain insights from our exceptional guests. Maria, EU sanctions against Russia and Belarus are familiar to many, involving the freezing of assets and travel restrictions for sanctioned individuals. Yet, there is a deeper complexity surrounding these sanctions. Could we maybe start with you explaining the crucial elements of the EU sanctions regime? Sure. Uh, first, it is useful to mention that this is nothing new. Uh, sanctions have been imposed as the EU's response to the war in Ukraine since 2014. However, they became more comprehensive following Russia's invasion in February last year. We have uh, 11 sanction packages so far. You mentioned asset freezes and uh, prohibition to provide resources to sanctioned persons. We have more than 1,500 individuals and more than 200 legal entities which are listed. And the list is even longer in reality uh, because entities which are owned or controlled by these sanctioned persons are covered as well. However, these individual sanctions are only one type of sanctions. We also have economic sanctions such as prohibition on exports, imports, transit of goods, provision of services. We have media sanctions, price gap on Russian oil, and certain measures to uh, prevent circumvention. I would also like to mention that we have similar situation in Belarus. Because of their involvement in this war, uh, the EU has imposed additional measures on Belarus as well. So we have more than 200 uh, persons who are sanctioned. We have economic and other sanctions as well. So in short, that would be uh, it. Oliver, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. How do these EU sanctions affect businesses and what specific effects do they have on mergers and acquisitions transactions? Well, Primarily, these rules um, impose additional burden on businesses. They affect EU businesses as the rules apply to EU companies, but other parties are affected by these rules too due to the nature of M&A transactions. 
First, um, you need to get acquainted with these complex rules to be able to understand the scope of its applications. Secondly, well, you need to make sure that necessary KYC checks um, of the transaction uh, are undergone and uh, the uh, transaction is not prohibited. Third, it is necessary to agree on additional safeguards to ensure compliance and protection from consequences of the breaches. Well, let's take uh, the individual sanctions as an example. First of all, it appears that the persons listed are not the only concern. As Maria mentioned, the individual sanctions apply not only to the individuals themselves and legal entities actually designated, but also to all entities owned or controlled by such designated persons. There is an exception, of course. This will not apply if it can be demonstrated that the respective economic resources or funds are outside the control of the designated person and or that the funds or economic resources provided would in fact not reach or benefit the designated person. Regardless of that exception, in practice, this essentially means that EU companies may no longer deal with designated individuals or entities and the entities owned or controlled by them. The lists of economic sanctions against Russia are quite extensive too. They include general restrictions regarding export and import of various goods and technologies, such as prohibitions on providing services or providing financial assistance in relation to goods and technologies, and they include additional restrictions for individual sectors, such as energy, quarrying or mining, transport or financial services. Now, requesting or providing warranties in M&A transactions to address these matters has already become a standard in such transactions, but the exact wording and consequences of breach are not always easily negotiated, in particular when parties involved have certain businesses in connections with Russia or um, when specific targeted industries are concerned. Okay, uh, Oliver, how does it affect individuals who are serving as board members of Russian subsidiaries of EU companies? Yeah, thank you. That's an interesting question. Um, EU sanctions can have various impacts on individuals serving as board members of, of Russian subsidiaries of EU companies. First and foremost, EU sanctions do not apply extraterritorially. That means that Russian companies, uh, in principle, don't have to comply with EU sanctions. However, the sanctions do apply to EU nationals, even if they're acting as board members in a Russian company. Consequently, what does it mean? A board member may become personally liable for a violation of EU sanctions if he or she takes any actions in the name of the Russian company which violates EU sanctions, such as, for example, the export of listed goods. It is also worth mentioning that this applies to supervisory board members as well, who approve actions of a Russian board which are in violation of EU sanctions. Okay. Okay, so let's delve into a concrete example, maybe. Suppose an Austrian company intends to sell its business in Russia to a Russian entity. In this scenario, which specific rules would come into play and what are the key considerations that would typically need to be addressed? Well, there are several issues which need to be considered and planned well ahead when structuring such a transaction. 
The first one is that neither the Russian buyer nor the individuals controlling such buyer must be a listed person. Secondly, transactions in Russia require several regulatory approvals. Most importantly, a so-called special commission has to approve the transaction if the sale involves an unfriendly country such as Croatia or Austria or any other EU member state in that, uh, in that connection. The commission requires an independent appraisal of the net worth of the Russian company and will usually strike off 50% of the net worth as uppermost purchase price for the transaction. Additionally, an exit tax will also most likely apply to the transaction. Other regulatory approvals, such as merger clearance, may also apply to the transaction. All things considered, Russia is making it more and more difficult for foreign-owned companies to leave the market. And if they're still adamant to do so, it will come at a tremendous cost. And third, but not last, uh, the, the, the purchase price payment itself has to be structured carefully with the involvement of experienced banks, and lawyers. Otherwise, it may well happen that the purchase price payment does not go through on closing. Thanks, Oliver, for explaining this. Uh, what about the opposite scenario? Maria, maybe you. How feasible is it for a Russian seller under sanctions to sell their business in the EU? Can such transactions be conducted despite the seller being subject to sanctions? Yeah, luckily, uh, the EU rules envisaged an exemption. Uh, we had a situation in Croatia where a Croatian target, uh, whose ultimate beneficial owner was a Russian sanctioned individual, was sold to an EU company. How was this possible? Well, uh, considering that the shares in this company and its assets were frozen due to sanctions, it was necessary to obtain some kind of clearance uh, from the authorities. Um, so it's similar to the situation that Oliver described. We always have some kind of clearances uh, in these transactions. Um, the clearance was obtained, so the measures were lifted and shares could be sold to this EU buyer. However, everything was subject to one condition. The purchase price, the funds, were not transferred to this seller, to the Russian individual, but they remained frozen as long as sanctions are in place. Uh, needless to say that this transaction was rather complex not just because of this new condition that had to be dealt with, but because this situation affected negotiation process in general, and especially liability regime. Okay, but uh, what's the point of exemption if the funds are frozen instead of uh, company shares? Yeah, good question. Uh, however, if we consider the whole picture, it makes sense. Um, this exemption is not here to favor sanctioned persons. It's here to protect EU businesses. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, we had a Croatian company, so the EU business uh, in question. Uh, they had problems with obtaining financing, uh, problems with suppliers, so a solution had to be found. Uh, considering seller's position, although he was not receiving the funds at that time, he was still motivated to sell uh, because the value of this business was going down, obviously. Okay, we've mentioned today that EU companies are the primary targets of these rules, but non-EU companies are also affected. 
As previously introduced, Tolga Poiras, senior lawyer at Yildirim Group of Companies, is also with us. Tolga, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sasha. Tell us, please, how does Yildirim Group, with its diverse range of companies, both inside and outside the EU, including businesses in Russia, experience the impact of these rules? Are specific parts of your business more affected than others? Well, as you already know, uh, sanctions in general have always been one of the customary representations and warranties in M&A transactions. Prior to the sanctions imposed on Russia, we were only seeing the general wording uh, on sanctions, such as sanctions imposed by the US Treasury, United Kingdom, European Union, etc. Now we see specific representations and warranties wordings uh, for the sanctions uh, imposed on Russia. Uh, in shared purchase agreements and other transaction documents as well. And also we see some uh, termination and penalty mechanism in case you are sanctioned uh, between signing and closing dates. And of course, uh, during the negotiations, the seller side wants some assurances that the company and any of its shareholders are not subject to any of the sanctions imposed on Russia. Uh, this is, of course, prolongs the negotiation phase. Also, we encounter more detailed KYC procedures for our acquisition financing. Banks and other uh, financial institutions would like more detailed explanations regarding our assets in Russia. Well, more to say, I wouldn't say a specific part of our business is more affected, but the whole business is affected at the same level. Can you provide maybe an illustrative example from your practical experience involving the challenges of navigating sanctions? How did you manage the burdens associated with sanctions and effectively address this issue? Well, in one of our recent transactions where we work uh, with Maria and her great team in Croatia, uh, during the negotiations, uh, which took way longer than the usual practice, almost two years, uh, the war broke out and sanctions were imposed on Russia. When the seller side asked if we have an asset in Russia, we disclosed this information. And after we disclosed this information, uh, they had this concern, what if we become subject to one of the sanctions? And they wished to add a termination clause and a penalty clause if we become a sanctioned person during the interim period, which is the term between signing and closing dates. We, of course, were confident that we would not become subject to the sanctions, but this created another argument between the parties and prolonged the negotiations. However, afterwards, uh, the parties reached an agreement on the wording and closed the transaction. Well, another example was that uh, the group uh, was interested in a, a project in Estonia. But afterwards, uh, we found out that the ultimate beneficial owner was a sanctioned person and the Estonian government was considering publicization of the assets in Estonia. Uh, therefore, we withdrew our interest in the transaction. Thank you. Maria, you mentioned initially that these rules are subject to changes. Do you have any tips for businesses how to remain up to date? Yes. As we mentioned, we have 11 uh, sanction packages so far. The last one was published in June uh, this year, so quite recently. Um, it is not easy to stay up to date. However, there are different sites that provide various information on sanctions. 
One of them uh, is maintained by CMS. Uh, it's named Handling the New EU Sanctions Against Russia. This site is regularly updated, so the businesses can easily get acquainted uh, with all relevant novelties. Oh, that's great. Given that there are already mentioned 11 sanctions packages of EU sanctions, what do you expect for the future? Will it be more sanctions for commercially sensitive areas or an increase in enforcement, Oliver? Well, we believe that there will be no new sanctions for commercially sensitive areas in the future, except for further tightening of sanctions involving technology and dual-use items. This may also have a negative long-term effect on the Russian market because they have to obtain alternative parts from other regions in the world or rely on third market importers uh, for technology items, which obviously increases the risk of uh, counterfeited products. Given that, and that may sound a bit harsh, but honestly, I would personally not feel safe to board a Russian aircraft in the near future. Since sanctions are currently heavily circumvented by selling goods to third countries such as Kazakhstan, we will definitely see an increase in enforcement targeting sanctions. In addition, there's also a need for an alignment of uh, criminal and administrative penalties for sanctions violations within the European Union itself. We currently have huge differences between the individual member states, where, for example, a sanction violation may result in a prison term in Austria, but does not currently have any penalty attached to it in Bulgaria if it does not concern dual-use goods. We therefore will expect a general increase in enforcement actions on both the national and international level, in particular due to the increasing pressure by the United States of America and the financial community to establish clear rules. Okay, so in summary, the EU sanctions against Russia and Belarus present complex challenges for businesses and individuals. Navigating these sanctions requires careful adherence to intricate rules, conducting thorough due diligence and engaging in constructive negotiations. It is important to stay updated as enforcement efforts may intensify, focusing on circumvention and aligning penalties within the EU. With ongoing vigilance, business can navigate these sanctions and safeguard their interests in a dynamically changing geopolitical environment. Okay, thank you to all the guests. Tolga, Maria, Oliver, it was a pleasure talking to you today. Likewise, Likewise. it was like pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. For those who would like to catch up on our previous episodes, they are available on our website or can be revisited through your LinkedIn profile. Stay tuned for our next episode. See you soon.